0: All right, let's start our time with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for each person that's in this room. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to once again gather together around your word. Lord, I ask that you would be with our time together. I ask that you would please um, still my heart and mind, and I pray that I would be able to um, communicate faithfully your word I pray that we would be open as women to receive your word and to be changed by your word. I pray for your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in the middle of a worship series. We're studying worship, right? The first several lessons in Deuteronomy um, are about worship. And last week, we saw that worship is a priority for the people of God. It is the highest priority for the people of God. We saw that the Lord himself is the one who prescribes how we are to approach him, how we are to worship him. And he does that through his word. And we also saw that the worship of God is to be pure. And we're going to continue with that mindset about the purity of worship as we look at our text this evening. And we saw also last week that worship is more than singing a song. We so often make it just about that portion of the church service where we sing songs to God. But worship is more than that. It is all of life. Worship is loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, with all of who you are. This is what worship is. Because this is the great commandment in Scripture underneath, um, that lies underneath all of the other commandments that we have, this one to love God, it is the one that holds it all together. And when this commandment is broken, that means we have broken all of the commands, all of them. Or you could say it another way, when we break another command, we have first broken the command to love the Lord our God. To worship Him. So when we break the great commandment about worship and loving God, we have fallen into idolatry, for idolatry is worshipping something other than the one true God. So, all of sin, every time we sin, its roots are in idolatry. So today in our text, we see this this warning about idolatry. There is a repeated warning in Scripture about idolatry over and over and over again. God is warning his people not to be drawn into idolatry. Warnings are interesting, are they not? We are constantly getting warnings on our phones. Are your phones like my phones? Do you constantly get alerts on your phone? The weather app on my phone is always alerting me to all sorts of weather catastrophes. Tornadoes, blizzards, uh, whiteouts. And for the most part, every single day, I get a warning on my phone and I completely ignore it. Because why? Because I look out the window and I see no signs of danger. I see nothing that's going to Um, make me think that there is impending doom and danger. And then I get to this place where I no longer trust the one that's sending me these warnings. And so I completely blow them off. Well, one time I blew off a warning, and it kind of got me in a little bit of trouble. Last year when we were in Puerto Rico, we were in an area of the the country um, next to the sea, and my phone was constantly blowing up with these warnings about the ocean don't go out into the ocean, red zone, red zone, don't go out into the ocean, the rip tides are terrible, the currents are awful, don't go out. So one day, in the midst of all of those warnings, me and my friends decided to go to the beach. And it looked okay, I mean, the beach looked good, it's beautiful. And so we thought, oh, we'll go into the water and we will take a little excursion into the water. There are other people in there, they all look fine. Um, So we're gonna do a little snorkeling, okay? Ladies, I never need to snorkel ever again. (laughs) We go out into the water and it was not very long until I realized that I was in over my head, literally. I was not strong enough to withstand the water, the waves. There was nothing underneath my feet. I could care less about the fish at the moment. All I wanted to do was not drown. And I was being pulled and waves were sweeping over me. And I realized that I had made a huge mistake in not listening to the warning that had come on my phone. I was not strong enough to sustain the danger that I was in. And thankfully, a friend of mine um, who was with us, swimming with us, saw my distress and helped me get safely to shore. Literally dragged me to shore. Now... The irony is not lost on me, ladies, that the name of my friend who got me to shore was Jesus. Just saying. (laughs) Always keep Jesus with you. (laughs) Warnings are intended to keep us out of danger, right? Warnings are intended to keep us out of danger and to not be ignored. But we tend to ignore warnings because we don't see the danger. Our topic today is a sober one. This passage of scripture that we were in all week long is a sober, a little bit scary passage of scripture. It is a text alert from God himself warning us about the dangers of idolatry so that we won't be seduced and trapped and ultimately destroyed. None of us, not a one of us, is strong enough to fight against the riptides that take us out into the sea of idolatry. So let's look at what God, through Moses, has to say about idolatry. Our passage begins in Deuteronomy chapter 12, so let's go there. And we start in verse 29. Deuteronomy 12, verse 29 says, When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, When you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care. There's the warning. Take care. Pay attention that you are not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods, that I may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing, That the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. So the warning starts out with talking about a time period in the future of Israel. Israel was going across the Jordan. They were going into the Canaan land, the Promised Land, and and Moses is telling them that when you get in there. And when you settle into the land and all of your enemies have been dispossessed of the land, they are defeated. The Lord has given you victory. And you're living in your houses and you're dwelling in your cities. And you're having families and you're married and you're being given in marriage and you're planting gardens and you're raising cattle and you're, you're living a normal life. You're in that land. This is when you need to pay attention. When you're comfortable... That leads to complacency, and complacency can lead to curiosity, and curiosity can lead to being consumed by idolatry. It's a slow progression. It's subtle. It's not going to be obvious. But this is a pattern that happens in Israel, and if we were to be honest and we can look it into our own lives, we see that same pattern. And the Lord is warning his people to be on guard. Wake up. Don't become complacent. Complacency basically means being unaware of danger. Unaware that there's any threats. Be aware that there is danger around you all the time as you are comfortable in your land. So he's warning them to, to stay alert. And he says, don't even be curious about what these people are doing in the land. Don't even investigate it. Because once you start opening those doors and investigating how they lived and how they worship, next thing you know, there's little compromises beginning to creep in to the way in which you worship Yahweh. It's not going to be obvious. It's going to be subtle. I wish it was obvious. I wish it was like what we saw at the Grammys the other night, or I didn't see it, but I heard about it. Say, it's not, idolatry is not going to come to us dressed up as a red devil. It's going to be not obvious. And so God is giving us tools and warning us and prepping us. Don't even be curious about the ways in which the society around you is worshiping their God. Because as we investigate, we're going to start bringing that in and start slowly incorporating it. And next thing we know, we are doing what God hates. And as the people of God, that should break our heart. Because if we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, we will love what He loves and we will hate what He hates. We want the same heart as our God. And so the warning is, do not even... Look at what they're doing. Don't even be curious about it. For when that grows to its fullness, to its full flower, it will lead us to places we never thought we would go. It doesn't start out with child sacrifice, let me tell you. We don't just jump right into that. That is a end-of-the-road place to be. The way of idolatry always will eventually lead to death, but not always at the beginning. So the lord is gracious to warn his people to let them know they are in a dangerous situation there's danger all around you be alert be aware don't be fooled don't be tricked don't be snared don't be swept out into the sea of idolatry and so he warns us and then in verse 32 he gives us what we're going to need to help us navigate and to keep us from idolatry Look at verse um, 32. He says, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it, nor shall you take away from it. Everything that I command you. What is everything that God commanded us? Where do we find that? We find that in the scriptures. We find that in the word that he has given to us, that he has revealed to us. This is the heart. This is the foundation. This is the point of all that we are going to be looking at tonight. This is the um the line or the plumb line by which we will judge all things. It's the word of God. It always comes back to the word of God. When we begin to unravel the word of God, take away from the word of God, add to the word of God, we are changing the word of God. It is the word of God that will keep us in the knowledge of God, in the truth of God. And the word of God is what holds us. And this is why Satan, with everything that is in him, is out to attack the word of God, to cause us to doubt it. What were his first words in Eden to Eve? Did God really say? What was he attacking? He was attacking the word of God. And when you attack the word of God, you attack the character of God. Because the word of God is what's reflecting the character of God. So everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Whenever we add to it, or when we try to take away from it, we are distorting the very character of God, which leads us right down the road to idolatry. And that's why all throughout Scripture, we are admonished to not tamper with the revelation of God. Deuteronomy 4.2, we saw this last semester, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Proverbs 30.5-6 says, Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. And all the way at the end of our Bibles, Revelation twenty-two eighteen 18 through 19 says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. And so while this particular section refers specifically to Revelation, the book of Revelation, we can take that principle and expand it to the whole of Scripture. We have the whole of counsel of the Word of God today. All of it. It's closed canon. Everything that God wanted us to have, we have. And we are called to not mess with it, to not twist it, to not distort it, to not add to it, to not take away from it. We are called to simply receive it and obey it. So the word of God is our plumb line. Moses continues on and he gives us three areas, three ways in which we could be ensnared. We could be deceived. We could be sucked into a riptide that's going to take us into idolatry. Um, in chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. So let's look at the first one. The first one um, is about the religious leaders, about religious leaders. So let's look at chapter 13, verse 1. It says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. Verse four, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So shall you purge the evil from your midst. So let's just break this down just a little bit. What is a prophet and a, or dreamer? Well, in this cultural context, the prophet and dreamer were the two primary ways that we see God reveal his will to his people. They were not primarily concerned with foretelling the future, but rather with communicating God's word to God's people. That is what a prophet did. That is what a dreamer did. Think about Moses as a prophet communicating to Israel what God's will was for them. Think about Joseph in the book of Genesis who was an interpreter of dreams. God communicated in that time through those men. And that was in that particular context. And signs and wonders were something that the Lord gave to validate his prophet, prophet, to show that his prophet was from him. And yet here in this passage of Deuteronomy, we are told that that's not the primary way to know if a prophet is a true prophet sent from God or a false prophet. The primary way is, again, the word of God. Because if... There are signs and there are wonders. If there are miracles and they're coming true, and yet that prophet is speaking something other than the word of God, he is a false prophet, and you are not to believe him. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet. Again, this is why this text preceded um, was preceded with the word of God. Paying attention knowing the word of God and obeying the word of God. How can you hear the words of a prophet and know if they're right or not unless you know what God's word actually said? And it would be very important for the people of this generation to know what a prophet, who was a true prophet or not, because they didn't have the Bible like we have. They didn't have the whole council of scripture. So they're basing it on Moses. They're basing it on what has been revealed to them already. So whatever we have, whatever has been revealed to us, is what we hold the standard up as. And so these people, even in this context, in this generation, were required to take the law of Moses and to listen to the voices of people claiming to be from God and to compare what is the law of Moses say? What does God say? And what is this prophet saying? His words were to be held up against the word of God regardless of whether he was being able to do miracles and signs and wonders. We all love the signs and wonders. Everybody's looking for the miracle. But the truth of the matter is, it's the Word. It's the Word that gives us the discernment. It's the Word that tells us truth. It's the Word that we go to to find truth. Another thing that I want you to notice is that God allows false prophets. He says in, um, in verse 3, You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. That's a sobering thought, that the Lord would allow people to speak falsely under his name to, to uh, not cut them off, that scares me to death. As somebody who stands up here in front of you teaching the word week in and week out, that scares me. I would rather him cut my tongue off than to say something false and misrepresent him to you and yet the, you are responsible to hear my words and to hold them and look into the, the Bible that is on your laps and say, Is this true? Is what she's saying coming from Scripture? Is this true? The Lord is testing all of us, teaching us to be discerning, to know his word, to be able to tell the difference between a false teacher and a true teacher. By his word. And will we follow God and will we walk according to his ways? Or will we trail off after the false? Will we be wowed by the false? By their ability to articulate truth. By their giftedness. He's testing his people. Not because he doesn't know what's in their hearts. But he's purifying them, testing them, building them, helping them to grow in the knowledge of the truth, in their knowledge of him. He has allowed this. So what does this matter for us today? Well, it, it absolutely does matter. Listen to the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 24. He says, See that no one leads you astray. The danger's still here. For many will come in my name. So many are going to come in the name of Jesus, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And I don't believe that that necessarily means saying, I am the Christ, like I am Jesus, the new Messiah. I think they're coming representing the Messiah, representing Jesus, and proclaiming a false message, a false gospel. Matthew twenty-four, eleven says, And many false prophets will arise and lead, many astray. And in 24 verse 24 it says for false christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead if possible even the elect. This is where we are today. We are in those days. There has never been a time in the history of humanity where so many people have a platform And so many people are speaking from God, claiming to speak from God. Social media, YouTube, podcasts, music, even movies and entertainment are all voices that are coming into our ears, claiming to speak on behalf of God. And this warning in Deuteronomy is telling us to take care. Pay attention. Make no mistake that we are being shaped by all of these voices. We can be seduced by their giftedness, by the quality of the performance. They shape our understanding of Jesus and God and sin and the word. They shape our beliefs about life in the here and now and eternity. And we, as we listen, we must listen aware of the danger and not be complacent. And we must listen and watch with discerning ears. Now I'm going to bring up a little example for you. And I know I'm going to touch on some things here because I'm going to call out one of our favorite shows, The Chosen. I know, don't stone me. I'm not saying that you shouldn't watch The Chosen. But I want to ask a question. Has there been any adding to the person of Jesus in the movie The Chosen? Has anybody taken away anything from the character of Jesus as they have sought to artistically present him? And my word of caution is not saying don't watch it, but don't fall in love with the Jesus of The Chosen because he may not be the same Jesus as the Jesus of the Bible. It's that subtle. It's in a little smirk. It's in a little wink. It's in a little nod that begins to shape our understanding of who Jesus is. That's artistic license. And it can stir our affections for an idol, a Jesus that doesn't actually exist. And so that's, I just want to bring this out, not as a condemnation, but just as a cautionary tale of warning of how easily we are shaped by what we see. Instead of being shaped by what the Word of God is is revealing to us about Jesus. We are visual people and we're always drawn to these platforms more than we're drawn to the Word of God. And I want to challenge us to fight against that, to be drawn to the Scriptures, to ask the Holy Spirit to inflame your heart for the Jesus of the Bible and to keep us from being seduced into a false worship. So what are we to do? Well, we're to be alert. We're not to be uh, seduced. But what does the Lord tell us to do? He tells us not to listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Don't listen. Don't curiously check them out. Listen instead for the voice of God. And where is the voice of God? It's in the Word. It's in the Word of God. Listen for the voice of God in His Word. When we read these words, when we hear these words spoken aloud, we are hearing God's voice. What a wonderful thing that is. The text continues on. Listen for the, um, to walk with the Lord your God. Fear Him. Keep His commands. Obey his voice, serve him, and hold fast to him. To hold fast to the true is to reject whatever is false. In the context of Deuteronomy, those who were false prophets were to be put to death because of the severity of what they were doing. They were leading people into rebellion against the one true God. They were leading people away from the God who had redeemed them out of slavery and leading them to a God that they did not know. It is a severe thing to be in rebellion against the Lord God. And the severity of the punishment reveals the severity of the sin. It was the death penalty because they were teaching rebellion against the God who redeemed his people. Now we know today, in this day and age, in this cultural context, We don't put people to death for being false prophets, right? We know that, right? Yes, okay. But we can learn, right, about how sobering and how severe this is, and we need to pay attention to it. The New Testament helps us to understand how we are to navigate false teachers today. We don't put put false teachers to death, but we do want to avoid them. Paul writes a letter, writes a letter to Timothy. And in this, these first, there's actually two letters. In both of them, he is charging him to hold fast to the faith, hold fast to the truth, hold fast to the gospel as a pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he's telling him, guard against false teachers, those who have left the truth. And, and in that letter, in 2nd Timothy 3, he says these words. He under, he says, but understand this. That in the last days, we're in the last days in case anybody's wondering. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness... But denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete or mature, equipped for every good work. Did you hear that? When these false teachers, these false leaders creep into the house, into the homes, and into the places where women are, and they're leading them astray and leading them into their passions, Paul is, is admonishing him to hold fast. Avoid these people who would lead you astray and hold fast to the word of God because everything you need for life and godliness can be found in the scriptures. This is how we are to navigate in this space. Don't listen To religious leaders, don't read their books if they're leading you away from the God that you know. So let's continue with the second riptide that can sweep us away from the worship of the Lord our God. I call this one the riptide of intimate relationships. Let's look at verse 6. If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your friend who is as your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Again, notice that repetition there. They're leading you from the God that you know to gods that are unknown. Some of the gods of the people who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from the one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him. Nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. You shall stone him to death with stones, because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all of Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. All right, this has to be the most painful section of the entire chapter. And I know that there are many in this room who know this pain, including myself, who know the pain of those who we love who walk away from the truth and try through their words to entice us to do the same. Like the religious leaders that we saw in the previous verses, they're seeking to undermine the word of God, stripping it of its authority, adding to it or subtracting from it, distorting it, leading us away from the God that we know as revealed in Scripture to a God that we don't know. That's not in Scripture. This unknown God can have the name Yahweh or he can have the name Jesus, but he is not recognizable because of the distortion of the word of God. So what are we to do? How do we navigate in the space when it's people that we love? And again, I want to bring out the fact that this is not going to be like blatant. This is subtle. It happens over time. What are we to do? We are not to yield to them. We are not to listen. We are not to pity, spare, or hide them, is what our text tells us. And we are once again, as we read the words of Scripture, very sobered by the severity of the consequences. But it's severe for two reasons because of who God is, who it is we're sinning against. This is God, the creator of heaven and earth. He made us. We're creatures of the dust, we're made of dirt. He gave us life, He gave us breath. He's given us everything. And the severity of the sin of idolatry against the creator of heaven and earth is so severe that it warrants the death penalty. And we know this to to be true in our own context. If we sin against our neighbor, and if we um, break their fence, or we, we do something to our neighbor, that's a problem. That's a big crime. But if we sin against... The president of the United States of America, if we commit a crime against his house, the punishment is far more severe. Why? Because of the weight of who he is, of his position, of his authority. How much more so is that true of the maker of heaven and earth? There is no authority greater than him. So any crime against him is worthy of the death penalty. So there's the severity of the crime is because of who God is, but the severity of the crime or the, of the punishment is also to serve as a preventative measure in that context, to keep the people from idolatry. Verse 11: And all Israel shall hear and fear, and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. But once again, to bring this forward, we can bring forward the truth that idolatry is severe. It's sobering. It should take our breath away. And we must never allow those that we love to lead us away from the God who has loved us ultimately, sending his son to redeem us out of slavery to sin. Again, we don't stone people. But this sober reminder of the significance of how God views idolatry is important for us. Jesus speaks to this situation. And I can't help but wonder, as I read these verses to you, if Jesus had Deuteronomy 13 in mind as he was teaching the people that were around him. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple my disciple. Jesus transform and deepens our understanding of Deuteronomy, this passage in Deuteronomy. And he's not making the point that we're called to hate our family members. We know this. Holding Jesus's teachings together, Jesus told us to love even our enemies, right? So he's not telling us to hate our family members. He's not telling us to abuse them, to be mean to them, to crush them with our words or with our doctrine. But he is telling us that we are being called as his people, as his disciples, to love God more than our family. We are to prioritize God over even those we love the most. Now Jesus understands this is painful. You can hear it in the words that he says. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. These are cross-bearing words. The Christian life is a cross-bearing life because we serve a cross-bearing king. And he knows the weight of what he's teaching us. He knows that this is difficult. But he wants us to know, he tells us through his word, that it will be worth it. It is worth it to follow him. It is worth it to be his disciple. It is worth it to hold fast to him, to hold fast to his word. It's painful, but it is worth the sacrifice because Jesus is worth it. Mark ten twenty nine through 30, Jesus says these words. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, he adds that in there, and in the age to come, eternal life. What he's saying is when we leave it all behind, when we follow Jesus, when we follow him, when we sacrifice it all and lay our lives down, and we prioritize Him, it will be worth it. Both in this life that we live now here, and then in the life to come. He promises abundant blessing. And one of the things that we get as we come into, the, into relationship and fellowship with God through Jesus is new family, eternal family. The people of God are our, our, our eternal family. The community that gathers on Sunday mornings at different outposts throughout the community, faithful to the scriptures, can be our eternal family, a hundredfold. My question to you is, are you in a family, an eternal family, that can help you stand against the pressures, against the riptide that wants to suck you out into the sea? Are we also being family to one another? So are you in a family and are you being that family? There are so many people that are coming into, into coming to faith, coming to salvation. And they're alone. None of their families have gotten saved yet. Are we being family to them? Jesus has promised when we come to him that he's giving us an eternal family. And this is one of the blessings of being his disciple. Now let's look at the final way in which um, idolatry can sweep us out um, to see. Verse 12 says, If you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God has given you to dwell there, that certain worthless persons have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, then you shall inquire and make, search, and ask diligently. Okay, I want to just pause there for just a moment. Inquire, search, ask diligently. You don't just throw the stones, okay? You don't just do that. He's he In both cases beforehand and in this case, there is a trial, there is a process, there is a procedure before bringing judgment down on the people who were leading them into idolatry. We're going to be looking at in a few, looking at those rules and those regulations in a few weeks. But there is a searching out, an investigation, to finding out what is true, not just believing things on hearsay, but finding out the truth. They are to do that if they hear the words that a city has gone astray, investigate it. And if verse fifteen, you sure you shall surely. No, let me back up. Verse fourteen. Then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently, and behold if it be true and certain that such an abomination has been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, devoting it to destruction. Remember those words, devoting it to destruction. All who are in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. You shall gather all its spoil into the midst of the open square and burn the city and all its spoil with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. It shall be a heap, offering forever. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you as he swore to your fathers if you obey the voice of the Lord your God keeping all his commandments that I am commanding you today and doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. Okay, in this context, again, Israel is a theocracy under the kingship of God. And each of the nation of Israel is broken down into tribes. And then within the tribes, we have cities. And within the cities, they have governments in there. And as a whole, if they were to hear of a city somewhere in their nation that had gone the way of idolatry, they were to destroy that city. They were to completely devote it to destruction. Now, I want you to notice in these passages of Scripture that the inhabitants of the city were to be taken to the sword, okay? Now, in the first two cases, we saw that the ones who were leading people into idolatry were to be killed, right? They were to be punished. But here we see that we are all responsible for being led astray. The people of that city were going to be held to account for following those worthless men who led them into idolatry. And I find it ironic that in this cultural context, the people did not have the scriptures in their homes like we do. And yet they were still responsible to know what the word of God had said to them and to follow it and to do it, to obey it. They were responsible. We are responsible for being led into idolatry. We cannot make excuses. We cannot blame others. All of the city, the cattle, their goods, were to be devoted to destruction. They were to be offered to God as a whole burnt sacrifice, never to be built again, to serve as a reminder to all the other cities as a testimony to God's judgment on idolatry. Now, this never happened in Israel's history. They never did that to a city. And yet the city of Dan was the first center for organized idolatry in ancient Israel. In Judges 18, verse 30, we are told, And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So all the way in the book of Judges, this began to happen. This passage of scripture began to come true. 500 years later, after the kingdom of Israel had been divided into the northern and southern kingdoms, the city of Dan followed King Jeroboam and became the center for idolatrous worship in the northern kingdom of Israel. It became the city of worship. Now, in spite of what God's Word told them in this chapter of Deuteronomy, they didn't do it. And as a result of their disobedience to the Word of God, idolatry permeated the entire nation of Israel. All of Israel eventually entered into idolatry. They became consumed with idolatry, just like we saw at the beginning. Comfort leads to complacency, leads to curiosity, leads to being consumed. It may not happen overnight. It may take 500 years, but it will happen. They became consumed, and it led to their expulsion from the land. Idolatry is serious. Idolatry is deadly. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, we are once again looking at a blueprint. This is pointing to something greater. This points us to the end times. Revelation gives us another picture of another city called Babylon. It's not a literal city. It's symbolic. The city of Babylon in the book of Revelation represents all of idolatry. It represents the city of idolatrous worship in the world. And there is coming a day that we are told that the smoke from this city and all of its inhabitants will be rising up as a heap burning forever and ever. And this truth should humble us, and this should sober us. For when we look at the the smoke rising up from these cities, we are looking into the perfect justice, the perfect holiness of God. And our response in that place of God's holiness ought to be a little bit like Isaiah's response when he entered into the holy presence of God, he said, Woe to me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. We are standing on holy ground when we look at these passages. And as we look at the smoke coming up from the pages of Scripture, we should be keenly aware of God's holiness and his purity, and our unholiness and our impurity. We should be keenly aware that we are all sinking in the sea of idolatry and we deserve, we deserve that judgment. We deserve to be in that place in the city's town square. Without the grace of God revealing this to us, we would never understand the depths of the sin that consumes us. But what does God do? We are not without hope. Has he sent fire down from heaven and consumed us? No. Rather, he calls his people to come out of Babylon, to come out of the city of idolatry. And he has been calling his people to come out of Babylon through all of Scripture. But Scripture testifies that they would not come. His people would not come. They would not listen to him, right? It's what the Old Testament says over and over and over again. So what did he do? He came after them. He came for them. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God made flesh, took on flesh and came into, dove into the sea of idolatry to rescue his people and to bring them out into his glorious city. He, Jesus, became the burnt offering for us. We saw that last week, that Jesus ultimately on the cross is the burnt offering that atoned for our sin of idolatry. He was consumed for our sin so that the Lord could turn the fierceness of his anger away and show us mercy and compassion. Isn't that beautiful? This is the glory of our salvation. We deserve to be consumed, but rather Jesus was consumed in our place and instead we have mercy. This is the glory of our salvation. This, this truth, this very truth, being able to see this truth is what changes us. Seeing the glory of what Christ did For us is what changes our idolatrous idolatrous hearts into hearts that will love and follow God. Because when we see the love that God has had for us in Christ Jesus, that he was willing to suffer on our behalf in place of us to take on our just judgment, this will stir our affections for him in worship and in love. And our response is one of submission and surrender, and obedience. The glory of our salvation is what changes us. And this is why these passages of Scripture are so important in the Word of God. Because without them, we would not be able to fully comprehend the glorious salvation that we've been given. We would not be able to understand the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have. So behold him, behold your salvation, behold the cross and let that stir your heart in worship and love and obedience to him. This is what changes our worship. And as we behold the wondrous salvation of our God, we will join with the multitudes, the many voices, the multitudes of voices that are surrounding the throne even now praising God and worshiping God, saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for your word and for these difficult passages in your word. We thank you for the warnings that you so clearly tell us about the the seduction of idolatry. I ask that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will cause us to be alert, that we will be awake, that we will be diving deep into your word, holding fast to your word, regardless of the resistance that comes our way. I pray that we would behold your great salvation, the work that you've done on our behalf in Jesus, and that through beholding Jesus and his love, his salvation, that we would truly be changed and transformed, that we would love you and worship you with all that we have, that we would be willing to lay down our lives, take up our cross and follow you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. I pray that you would go with us, that your spirit would would continue to work in us, his good work, that you may be glorified in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.